Hello, this is Isaac Haney Owens, and you're listening to the Leaders for Inclusive Community podcast, hosted by the Kelsey, covering topics related to housing and disability. Welcome. Thanks for listening. Each episode, I'll meet with different community leaders to learn about what they do and ask them questions about how their work can make housing and communities more inclusive for people with disabilities. Social justice means people working towards creating uh, the world that we want to see. It means building people power. It means disability justice. It means housing justice. Uh, It means racial justice. It means equity all across the board. Today, we're interviewing Dolores Tejada, the lead organizer at East Bay Housing Organizations. The topic today is focused on housing is justice. So it's nice to meet you and nice enough for you to let me have a chance to interview you. Yeah, it's great to meet you as well. Thanks for asking me to do this. Yeah, and then the first question is, what do you do? Um, So I um, am the lead organizer for East Bay Housing Organizations, and we call it EBHO for short, E-B-H-O. And we're a membership organization, um, and that means that people, organizations, groups who who care about affordable housing, invest in in us by becoming members and then we listen to our membership when we decide what we work we want to focus on so east bay housing organizations specifically our issue is affordable housing and also um uh, making sure that we there's three aspects of it we uh, promote affordable housing we want to see more production of affordable housing and we want to see Um, protecting affordable housing. So the affordable housing that exists now, we want to make sure that it stays affordable. So uh, I work with our members. I'm the lead organizer. And um, what I do as the lead organizer is I uh, work with the people who are residents of affordable housing so that they can engage in our organization and also in our communities Uh, to talk about why affordable housing is important and to advocate for more affordable housing, not only locally, but across the state. So how do you make sure that you're listening to your uh, members at the same time meeting the goals of the organization? That's a great question. So our goals come from a couple of different ways. It comes from issues that members bring up that are they see happening in the community and also us following what is happening as well. So if there's a city council, you know, maybe Oakland City Council is putting a proposal together um, to talk about affordable housing, then we will look at that and say like, is this what we want it to look like? We get input from our members through the various meetings that we have. So we have seven different committees. Um, we also have uh, a board of directors and then we have staff. So each, all of us get to give some input 
and we decide what direction we want to move in. Um, a lot of the input comes from our meeting. What is social justice? For me, social justice means people working towards creating uh, the world that we want to see. It means building people power. It means disability justice. It means housing justice. Uh, it means racial justice. It means equity all across the board. So social justice for me is about the, the social, it's the, right, it's the social aspect, people working together for a just world. What is intersectionality? Yeah, so intersectionality, I mean, I, I take it to mean exactly what um, Kimberly Crenshaw means it, which is when there's layers or crossings of different types of identities that we hold as people, different lived experiences that we hold as complicated human beings, all being recognized and, and held together. So intersectionality means honoring people as their whole human selves and honoring ourselves as our whole human selves, not leaving a part of ourselves at the door, bringing our full selves to any table or to any space we're in. And who is Kimberly Crenshaw? Um, Kimberly Crenshaw was, uh, is a woman who in the 90s um, came up with the term intersectionality. What is people power? It means that we are building relationships with each other. Um, it means that we find where our strengths are in not just similarities, but in differences and in a shared perspective um, of what we want to see the goal be using our shared, our individual collective power in a shared way to achieve a common goal. How can social justice impact housing? I'm in affordable housing, right? So it's, diff it's, it's different than just any type of housing. We have a lot of different types of housing. So affordable housing, one of the things that affordable housing means is subsidized housing. So providing housing for people and communities who are uh, working class families, who are people with disabilities, who are people from communities who normally, because of the way that society is right now, don't have access to a lot of um, money um, to be able to pay for housing. It's trying to get everybody housed. So the affordable housing industry is about, right now, uh, some part of it looks like nonprofits being able to um, build affordable housing using money from the government, using loans, and then providing um, housing at a cheaper, uh, like at a discount for families and for communities and individuals. Um, so there is um, a social justice aspect missing to that because in my opinion, it's very much the same thing as like the, not, it's, a, it's a nonprofit model, right? It's the perception that, that people need help and that we have to save people. So we see that in disability communities as well, right? As instead of the self-advocacy model. And so the self-advocacy model would mean like, yeah, sure, these nonprofits are providing housing, but how do we continue to empower people in our communities to be able to, um, to fight for what they want to have full, complete lives and to not see them as charity, but to see them as 
just another aspect of our community and that it is our duty to make sure that people are housed. Um, so social justice and, and that perspective can come in, in handy more in the affordable housing industry because we need to be empowering our people more. We have like a million people across the state of California who are in affordable housing and a, a lot of those people have resident services coordinators and resident services coordinators make sure that they, uh, they're kind of like case managers sometimes. They make sure that they have their like basic needs met, they have what they need, they can, um, if they pay rent, then they're paying their rent on time, like that type of stuff. And that's great. And so what we need too is community organizers. <laughs> we need people who are going to mobilize those same folks because those same folks have thoughts, have opinions to be able to take action in their communities in the way that they want. And a lot of those folks are, are already engaged. They're engaged in their communities in a lot of different ways. So what would it look like if the affordable housing industry what said, we have a million people across the state. What if we put more, what if we were able to build more leaders? What would leadership from the people who are impacted most by affordable housing, what, how would that change how we provide housing and what type of housing is built and where? And so that's what social justice can do for the affordable housing industry. It can empower the people more and it'll ultimately lead to more people having homes. What have you noticed in the shift in housing in the Bay Area? So I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I was born and raised here and I've lived in various different parts of the Bay Area. It's changed a lot. Like the Bay Area was one of the places where my parents could buy a home, but it also is a place that more recently, um, that's becoming harder and harder for people. It's not becoming real anymore. For, for a working class family to be able to afford a home. Um, we're getting pushed out more and more. My parents were able to buy a home in the Bay Area in Hayward when I was like maybe 10 or 11. And that for 11 and for 10 and 11 year olds now who had the same, who had a, one parent who was working as a housekeeper and one parent who was an electrician, that probably isn't the case. Um, they probably can't buy a house somewhere in the Bay Area, they have to get, um, people are getting pushed out more into um, places like Antioch and um, maybe Modesto. And so it's getting harder to afford homes. It's always been expensive here in the Bay Area, but there's always been at least, in my opinion, there's been some places where housing is more affordable, but that's still becoming harder and harder. The gap is getting, the gap of what's affordable and what's not affordable is getting bigger and bigger. I mean, to kind of take it back to affordable housing, um, I see that we want to keep people who are um, who need affordable housing, we want to keep them here because they add value to our communities. We want to keep seniors and people with disabilities and people of color, we want to keep them here. They, they are part of our culture, part of the importance of this community. So affordable housing is one way we can do that. But that doesn't mean that it's any easier to build affordable housing. There's a lot of pushback um, to building affordable housing. People in suburbs don't want affordable housing because of the, the perceptions and the racism and the, and the biases that they hold. We have to keep pushing for affordable housing everywhere because we, we want to be able to have everyone have a home.
In the past, what are some of the ways racism has impacted housing? Yeah, so I'm still learning all the time about racism and housing history. I'll give, you know, the very uh, way back example of like redlining, the way that banks um, loaned money to people depended on where they could buy houses. So they could, they would give, um, they would give a family who was white the a loan for more money so they could buy a home in a more um, newer neighborhood or nicer neighborhood and stay segregated and stay around other white people. And then they said like, this is the, this is where we're not going to give loans. If you're from this area, you're not going to get a loan here. And, or if you get a loan, it's going to be a small amount. So you stick to this area that you're in and kind of segregating people that way. Usually when, when people who um, were people of color and specifically people who were black were, were told that they couldn't receive loans or if they received loans, it would be for housing in an area that, um, didn't have as much uh, investment or didn't have as much attention give it to, given to it um, as other communities. So that's like classic example. The most recent example that I want to give though is just with our pre with our this most recent election down in San Jose, there was a whole campaign about what um, affordable housing looks like and who it's targeted for. And there's this perception that affordable housing buildings are ugly and gray and that they house people that are shouldn't be in in quote unquote safer communities and you know don't bring people who live in affordable housing into our backyard so there's this there was this campaign showing like a gray building that's like this is what affordable housing looks like do you want that in your community and then the community was like single family homes with like trees and um so people's perception of what affordable housing uh, looks like and who it's for is absolutely racist because people perceive it as it's for people who are poor and for people who are disabled, who are criminals, as if being poor, disabled, or someone who was previously incarcerated is a bad thing, right? We, 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 we have... People who are poor are not bad automatically. People who are disabled are not bad automatically. People who have been in prison are not bad autom automatically. It's another way to say like uh, people who are racist, people who are racist are going to say that people in affordable housing are not good people because the affordable housing is serving people who most need housing, which because of our society tends to be people who need resources the most, who are people of color, seniors, disabled folks. Today, how does racism still impact housing? Yeah, it's still impacting housing. Um, you know, there was, there is a, uh, an organization that wants to build housing in Castro Valley. Do you know a lot about Castro Valley? Yes. What do you know about Castro Valley? I know that it's, uh, 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 it's right next to Hayward is one thing I know about it. And it's, uh -huh. uh, and it's the suburbs. It's the suburbs. Exactly. And what, when we hear suburbs, what does that usually mean? Do you think? It means there's a lot more space for, for, for building, uh, affordable housing. Yeah. There's a lot more space. And what do the people there usually look like? They usually look like, uh, the white usually 
Yeah. White yeah. usually, traditionally Absolutely. white. There may be some people of color there, but mostly it's just white people. Yes, exactly. So that is very true for Castro Valley as well. So you know a lot of things about Castro Valley just by knowing that it's a suburb. Um, and there's an organization that wants to build housing there. And I grew up in Hayward, right next to Castro Valley. And uh, there is not affordable housing in Castro Valley um, that I can think of. So there, there's an organization that says like, whoa, there's this, like you said, there's a lot of space there. They found space and they said, we can build affordable housing here. We can build 40 apartment buildings here. And um, the community was like, no. And, and I was on these calls where they were giving, they were giving feedback when um, the local, um, I forgot what it's called. There's like a local committee that decides if it can get built there or not. So people are calling in and saying, I don't want these people in my backyard. These people are loud. These people, um, they're just going to bring crime to the area. My kids aren't going to be able to play safely outside. They're going to, these people are going to drive fast down the street. So when people, when people say these people, they're, they're using coded words. They, they could mean a lot of things. They could, but basically they were saying people in affordable housing act a certain way and they were stereotyping who affordable housing was for. So even though um, Castro Valley has this space, the, the people there don't wanna share it. They feel entitled to keep Castro Valley looking a certain way. And so that's one way that racism has impacted housing really recently. Luckily, that housing got approved. <laughs> so affordable housing is coming to Castro Valley and it's gonna continue to happen in Castro Valley. And that's good because um, we want our communities to be diverse. No one, none of us can say we own the land, right? We, we, none of us can say we have to take ownership of what the land looks like. We should be, we should be excited about diverse communities. And also the residents of the area should not say that because residents don't actually own the land. So they have exactly. no say over what is built there. Exactly, totally. And also yeah. these people need, and we need this, and it needs to be stopped being generalization, saying that everybody who lives in affordable housing is one way when that's not the, the way it is. Exactly. And I'm glad this affordable housing building got, got approved. So now these people who didn't want it in their backyard get to, get to see exactly what affordable housing looks like and, yes. and uh, gets to see that the people are not the way they thought they were and the building is not the way they imagined it would look like. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. I hope, I hope that it, it's better. I, I know that it'll be better for the community and I hope that those people's minds will be changed once they see it happen. And it also has to do with who they, where they're exposed to. If you're, if 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 you, if these people are more like, we're more likely not exposed to a diverse group of individuals. They're most mm -hmm. likely exposed to mainly just a just a white community. So that's what they mm -hmm. know. So they assume these things because they weren't exposed to these things to to make them to get them mm -hmm. to think differently. We all need exposure, <laughs> exposure to different things so that we can have different perspectives and respect each other. In the past, what are some of the ways that ableism impacted housing? You know, in terms of affordable housing, there are some requirements for affordable housing to include people with disabilities, but ableism plays out in a lot of different ways. Ableism plays out in who can get jobs, who can access resources, and some affordable housing, you know, it does require that you um, have an income of some sort and are able to are able to pay a subsidized rent. And so 
if people are experiencing ableism outside of their homes, it's going to impact where they can live. So if people can't get a job, if people don't have an equal education, that's going to impact what resources they have access to and ultimately where they're able to live. So ableism kind of touches on what I was talking about earlier too, which is that the charity model is ableist in a lot of ways. So if we were to tackle ableism with an affordable housing industry, I think it would mean that we value the banks who are investing in affordable housing as much as we value the people who are investing in affordable housing. It means that the money wouldn't speak more than the people power. Um, so that's a way that ableism plays out in affordable housing, I think. Today, how does ableism still impact housing? Yeah, I think it's still impacting housing, affordable housing, because affordable housing yet, some people might disagree with me, but affordable housing yet isn't a movement. There isn't an affordable housing movement. And that's because right now it's an industry, an industry made up of people who study housing, people who um, study how financing works. And those are all skills and tools that are definitely needed. But if we wanted to tackle ableism in the affordable housing industry, we'd elevate all the voices that are missing. We would elevate the voices of the people who are most impacted from affordable housing, which is the people who live in affordable housing and the people who could benefit most from living in affordable housing if there was more. So right now, uh, we're an industry. <laughs> but if we want to tackle ableism, we can become a movement. How can you get involved in social justice? There's a lot of different ways to get involved. It's never too late to learn more and to want to, to, want to um, participate and create the world that is better for everybody. Um, I know that for EBHO, if, if people are interested in um, advocating for more affordable housing, people can join EBHO. Our website is ebho.org and people can join as a member, as individuals, as um, a company, as an organization, um, as individuals, you can, if you wanna join just as an individual person, we love that. And you can join for as little as $5. Can one person make change or does it have to take a collaboration of people to make change? Oh, wow, that's a good question too. I think it can happen both ways. I think, I think we should try for all of it, right? If one person feels like I can do this on my own, then, then sure. But, you know, I think it's, it's also important for us to know that like, like, even if you think you're doing it alone, there's someone there with you. Sometimes work happens collectively too. Work happens because a lot of different people um, are working together. I personally think that the more people that get involved, the better. But sometimes if we need to, to work on something alone, then that's fine too. Thanks for listening. For more information on the Kelsey or to check out more of my podcast episodes, visit thekelsey.org. If you have a topic you'd like me to explore or a person to interview, email me at isaac at thekelsey.org. Goodbye.